0: I want to start by just asking a simple question, a fun question, you might say. But has anyone ever heard of the word aviophobia? Any aviophobes here in this place? No? No one? Well, according to the Dictionary of Modern Science, aviophobia is the fear of flying. Now, do we have any? A few? Okay. Okay. Well, statistics show that about 30% of Americans have some degree of it. It's anywhere from low-level anxiety to sheer dread of getting on an airplane, and they just won't do it. I was reminding you of this as uh, I got the call to come and be here with you today, and I was told that you're on this uh, series called Road Trip. You've been following, in, in this series, you've been following the Apostle Paul and his companions on his missionary trips through the book of Acts. These road trips are a big reason why the global church exists today. It's why the message didn't just stay and die in Jerusalem. It's the reason why there are over 2 billion believers around the globe today. It's the reason that you and I are here today. It's because of these road trips. Paul only took a handful of journeys. And I was thinking, what if Paul had airplanes in his time? He didn't have them in in that time, and he accomplished so much. But what if he did? Well, I guarantee you that he wouldn't have abiophobia. How many more road trips would he have taken? How many more people, how many more churches would he have started? There was something about Paul and the others that made them fearless when it came to preaching the good news. Last week you heard from Harley about Paul's trip to Ephesus Where a church was planted. And later on another trip. On another trip Paul the apostle Paul. Stops at a port somewhere close to Ephesus. And he calls for the elders of the Ephesian church. He tells them of his plans. That he's going to return to Jerusalem. And he's going to preach there. And he's going to bring an offering there. And everyone knows that this trip is too dangerous. And so many of the new believers. Along the way they tried to persuade Paul. Or dissuade Paul from going to Jerusalem. They tell him. Please, Paul, don't go. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. And that's why Paul's response to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, or uh, 22 to 24 says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It seemed like nothing would stop Paul or any of the other disciples from going. There wasn't a risk big enough or a mission dangerous enough that they weren't willing to take for the sake of Jesus. So my question to all of us this morning, and I hope that it will challenge us and it will get us to think. My question is this, so why do we struggle with it? We have the same mission as the first apostles, the first disciples had. Why aren't we as enthusiastic? Why aren't we as determined about it? Well, I don't think it's because believers don't care. I don't think that's the reason at all. I think believers for the most part care. But I think it has a lot to do with the fears that we have, the fears that we face. It might be the fear of, of getting on an airplane and going to a mission field. It might be the fear that speaking for Jesus would just be too hard. It would be, for others, it would be the fear of rejection, of talking to our friends or talking to people and being rejected. The, for others, it would be the fear of what others might think about us. If we were to speak for the name of Christ, for some, it's the fear that the personal cost would be too high, would be too much. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 through 28. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Paul is going to end up in the island of Malta. That's where we're going to finish up. He didn't plan to be there. He didn't plan to go there. But before we get there, there's a lot of things that happen along the way. And Harley told me that I had two hours to preach this morning. So we better get going. We got a lot of material to cover. But before we get into it, there's a little background. After Paul's third mission, he returns to Jerusalem and the expected happens. Paul faces persecution. The Jews plot to kill him. Paul's nephew saves his life. Paul is arrested, ends up in prison for some time, for a couple of years. And then Paul, as a Roman citizen, appeals his case to the highest court. He's going from court to court, and they don't know what to do with him. Some want to kill him. Others don't want to kill him. So he appeals to Caesar. and So the Roman authorities then send him to Rome. They send him off to Rome. This last road trip that we're going to look at is, is not a voluntary trip. He's a prisoner. But nevertheless, Paul will continue to testify to the good news wherever he goes, with whomever he meets along the way. So this morning, as we look at today's story, I hope that we can see ourselves in his story. I hope that we can see that we too are called by God, that God's spirit living in us is more than able to help us to be strong and to be confident as we face our own challenges and fears in living for him and proclaiming Christ to the world. There are main three, three main takeaways from what we read today, if you have your bulletin, you can open up there, take notes there, fill in the blanks. But in what we're going to see today, I think that we can see ourselves in what Paul faces in this trip and any of the other journeys that he takes. But just like Paul, on his journey, first of all, we find ourselves on, on any journey that we find ourselves on. We find ourselves that we are also in a dangerous mission, on a dangerous mission. But we're promised that God is with us. Acts 27 verse 1 when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. So I want to remind you that Luke is the one that wrote the book of uh, Acts. So he includes himself here when he says we, that we would be sailing for Italy. Paul and his companions are put in a ship, and they set sail under the guard of Julius. Remember, Paul is a prisoner here. He's under Julius. And they set off to go to Italy to appeal to Caesar. Skip down to verse 13. Here's what happens next. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed, anchored, and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane forced, called the northeastern, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Surtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Just like a man, right? You should have listened to me. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless we must run aground on some island don't you wish that when god gave you a plan for your life because we all want god's plan for our lives but don't you wish that when he gave you that plan that everything would work out without any problems or hiccups if it's from god shouldn't it come with his help and without troubles You see, it was God's plan that Paul would go to Rome and proclaim Christ even to the highest power. Why then, if it's from God, why then was the road there so difficult? Why so many dangers? Why so many trials? They're caught up in this hurricane-type storm. It was so terrible that Luke says in verse 20 that all those on board, it seems like even including Luke, had given up hope of being saved. You see, every every follower has been commanded by the one that we call Lord to join in His mission. His mission to do what it, what is necessary and to go wherever and to whomever to share the good news, the good news of the love that we have found in Christ. This might be to your extended family, to your relatives. It might be your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. Your city. And even, Jesus says, even to the ends of the earth. You see, the issue with our calling is that many times it's going to be risky. Jesus said that it would be so. You see, some, some see life with God as just playing it as safe as possible. Right? If I'm with God, then... Let's just play it safe. Let's just have a nice life and a a really blessed life and no problems, no issues. Never taking any risk, avoiding problems at all costs, avoiding challenges, suffering of any kind at all costs. Some see life with God as being as comfortable as possible. Having a good job, good health, nice house, nice kids, taking nice vacations. Nothing wrong with those things. But we must never confuse that that that's the extent of God's calling in our lives. That's not the extent of what God wants to do with us. You see, Paul faced many dangers. And he went from city to city as the other disciples did. They went preaching the gospel. But Paul seemed to have this courage in the face of danger. In this passage, you see him encouraging people You remember, he's the prisoner. He's not in charge, and yet it seems like he's taken over the ship. He's encouraging everyone. He tells everyone no one's life is going to be in danger. No one's going to die. And the reason is, is because God had promised him. This type of courage is is not self-made. It doesn't come from within or being a stronger person. It comes from believing something so deep. Something so real in your heart. Something something that's so true. It comes from knowing this one truth. That God will be with you. When Jesus told the 11 in Matthew 28, when he appeared after the resurrection, he appeared to them. And he says, I have one more thing to tell you. He says, go. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, he didn't say Go and it's going to be easy for you. I'm going to make it as easy as possible. He didn't say you won't ever have to take any risk or ever be in danger. No, he simply said, go into all the nations. There's something I think that we miss out in the words of Jesus. Many of us are familiar with the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. It's the mandate of Jesus for his disciples. It's the mandate of Jesus for his church. And we're familiar with those words. And, and we've come familiar with them, with, with this command of going and, and making disciples. Going and baptizing people. Going and teaching people everything that he's commanded us. But I think we often overlook or we gloss over the final words that Jesus said to them. And it's those final words that fuel the courage of the first disciples. Those words are what made them so courageous. Even to the point of facing death over and over again. Remember those words? When he says, go and surely I am with you always. Even to the very end of the age It's this simple promise that has been fueling courageous men and women for centuries for the sake of Christ. It's this promise that keeps the church going. It keeps it moving. It's this promise that helps someone take a risk and talk to a friend or a family. As I was watching this video, I couldn't help but just think of, you know, what God has planned for my life and where I came from. You know, I was thinking of that. If it wasn't for missionaries that went to Mexico back in the 1940s and 50s and spoke the word of God to my grandfather, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for someone who had the courage to go and speak and love and encourage and teach, who knows where I would be? Aren't we usually inspired by people? who take this mandate, who, who just believe this simple promise, just go, go and I will be with you. I have no other promise. There's no money. There's no nothing that I have to give you. But it's this simple promise. I'm with you. And it's this simple promise that the, the disciples, that Paul and the others believed and they took hold of. And that was, that was their fuel. That's what encouraged them. We're usually inspired by people, as I was saying, that show great faith and make big sacrifices for the sake of Christ. Just like I was inspired by that video. But you know what? They aren't any different than you and me. It's the same promise that Jesus has made to you and me. Whatever our fears about following following Him, He says, I'm with you always. I'll walk with you. I'll walk through the storm, I'll walk through the fire through the dangers, through trials, through opposition, persecution. I'll walk with you. I was reading this week about the church in Iran. About uh, 30, 40 years ago, there was only a total of about 500 Christians in the entire country of Iran, and they were persecuted, and the church was left for dead. Today, they think there's about a million christians in iran and the church is growing and i I was seeing pictures of baptisms and even though there's persecution you see it, it always takes courageous people it always takes people who believe the simple promise that god guides that god protects that god is faithful someone here might be battling doubts and fears About something that you know God is calling you to do. What he's asking you to step out in faith. To to not be fearless. To follow him. I want to gently remind you that you've also been given a great promise. So that you can fulfill your task. So that you can complete the mission that God has given you. The task of testifying to the good news of Christ. Back in 2001 I I was at a pastor's conference that really challenged me in a way that I had never been challenged before. It was October, one month after 9-11. And the speaker was pleading with all of us not to get discouraged or become afraid of what was going on in the world at that time. For those of you that remember, at that time, many pastors and churches had become afraid of flying and were canceling mission trips, canceling important work for Christ. And I remember he challenged us, He says, this is no time to shrink back. This is a time for the church to rise up and be bold and and courageous and proclaim the hope that we have in Christ. And he asked, why are we becoming so afraid? There were 3,000 pastors. Why are we becoming so afraid? Is God not in control anymore? And he spoke to us and I received it with conviction and And he said, What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Let me ask you, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to get in an airplane? You're going to crash? You're going to die and you're going to be with Jesus? Is that the worst thing that's going to happen? And he said it in a funny way and it relieved the tension that was there because ultimately that is the promise that we have, isn't it? Don't be afraid. It reminds me of the words of Paul when he said, for me to live is Christ is to die die is gain. He says, I want to be with my Lord. It would be so much preferable to be there. But in the meantime, I'm here. I'm on a mission. And it's good that I'm here with you because God has given me this task. And see, that's our goal, to live and to serve Christ with this thought in mind. What's the worst thing that's going to happen when you talk to a friend? They're going to laugh at you. They're not going to invite you back to their parties. Right? That's the worst thing. They're going to talk behind your back. You see, we see here that Paul, in Paul, he just lived this courageous life knowing and trusting the promises of God. He wasn't relying on what he was seeing. He wasn't relying on on the storm that was going on around him, the, the troubles. He was focused on the promises that God had given him. Number two, we learn from Paul also that just like him, we serve in a mission of hardships, but God is trustworthy. We serve in a mission of hardships, but God is trustworthy. Skip down to verse 27, Acts 27, 27. On the 14th night, you know, they're still out in the storm. We were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. These are real places, okay? When people say, oh, this just make believe. No, these are real places. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. In other words, they're close to land. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the boat. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them, to, all, them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days... You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The boat stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered, them, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. That would not be me. But uh, the, rest were, the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. We're also reminded... That devoting ourselves to Jesus and to his mission does not exclude us from daily hardships, does it? Paul faced a great storm among other difficult stuff in his ministry. In 1 Corinthians, he tells us that he faced beatings and stonings and lashes and hunger and imprisonment, abandonment. He faced it all and nothing would stop him. And what we see here is that some of our best opportunities... Some of our best opportunities to be a witness for Jesus is in the midst of the storms, in the midst of our hardships. You see, it's a little bit easier to praise Jesus and go to church to serve and to post on Facebook how good God is when things are going well for you, when things are good at work, when things are good at home, when the kids are being obedient, you're getting a raise, it's great, isn't it? But it's something else. It's more powerful to see someone continue to praise and serve Jesus when things are difficult. It's a greater testimony to our unbelieving friends when we suffer the loss of a loved one. Or face a disappointment or an illness. And continue to show great faith and love for God. Let me ask you. Do trouble and hardships in your life, do they tend to separate you from God's love? Or does your faith tend to be a light to others? When life gets hard for you, do you tend to withdraw from God? Do you withdraw from the community of believers? Or do you tend to draw in closer? We're reminded here that it's in the times of hopelessness. You see, in this ship, everyone was hopeless. Everyone. But it's in these times of troubles, it's in these times of trials, that we can shine brighter for Christ. Because we have a living hope. We have a God that is trustworthy, that he's proven himself over and over to us. He's not going to let us go. He's not going to abandon us. He's proven himself over and over when we are partnered up with him he says not only will i go with you but i will bless you i will be protect- your protection i will be your shield i will be your guide and so we're reminded here by paul we're reminded by all his missions that god is a worth is a god that is trustworthy we can count on him we also learn from Paul, and we're reminding ourselves, number three, that we are in a costly mission. This mission is costly. But God's love makes it worth it. Acts 28 verses 1 through 10. They, they've hit rocks. They've, they're at some place. They don't know where they are. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and woke them with us all awe because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So they're shipwrecked. They don't know where they are, but they find themselves in the island of malta a small island in the mediterranean sea i have a little map here you know italy right you learned in uh, elementary school that it's the shape of a boot right and it's kicking sicily over here right you heard that right it's just just west texas education malta is this small island down here at the bottom that's where they find themselves at you see in this island, we see Paul continue to minister. He wasn't getting the people to feel sorry for him. He continued to minister. We see Paul ministering here, and because of this ministering that he did, today the majority of this island are Christ followers. I don't have time to go into it, but if, go look it up. Something like 97%. See what God does? It's amazing. But while at Malta, the problems don't stop for Paul. It's a costly mission. Following Jesus is costly. We're not talking about salvation because we know that salvation is God's free gift of grace. But following as a true disciple of Jesus, it will always cost you something. Jesus himself said, Consider the cost. If you want to follow, consider the cost. And I know this is not a popular message today. I know that's not how you grow a church. Preaching this message. But that is the message. It's not not about who has the biggest church anyway. Or who draws the most people. God's mission is a simple mission of love. And that's what fueled Paul and the other apostles. Because they had been with Jesus. They had seen love In their midst. They knew what it looked like. They knew what it tasted like. They had touched it with their own hands. They had seen it with their own eyes. They had heard it with their own ears. The apostle Apostle John said. It's a mission of love. And anything worth of any value. Is costly isn't it? Anything that is worth anything. Anything require sacrifice those of you who are parents why do parents make such great sacrifices for their children because you're good people no it's love isn't it so my question is how can you and i be better missionaries for god what will it take to share christ with others whatever the cost It's only love. We see that in this story as Paul ministers to the people on the island. He doesn't know where he is, and yet he's going to love people. As he welcomes people's hospitality, that's one of the great ways to show love to others. Someone invites you to do something. Someone invites you to their home. Don't turn down their hospitality. Accept it. Uh, Those of you who went on that trip to Mexico, uh, isn't it amazing, right, that people just welcome you, Joe, right? They just welcome you. And people are amazed when when they go to other countries. And people, you knock on the door and they welcome you in. The other night, my wife and I went walking. Um, It was getting dark. And we went on a short walk. And uh, one of the neighbors down the street, uh, the back of their car, their SUV was open. And we thought, I wonder if they forgot or maybe they're coming out. But we went on that walk. When we came back uh, 30, 40 minutes later, it was still open. It was dark by that time so we thought okay well let's go tell them that it's open and so we went and knocked on the door and um no answer no cars were there so we thought maybe they're asleep but she uh, she knocked three times and no answer no answer we saw someone i saw someone looking through the peephole and no answer like okay well maybe so we start to walk away and then the lights turn on like oh there they are we go back and knock and no answer no answer (laughs) like all right I mean there's there's something about our culture that just is not so welcoming. Not we we just I don't know, we're suspicious of all kinds of people. In other countries around the world, I mean people just welcome you in. And and so here we see Paul loving on people as he shares his life with them. People he doesn't know. As he prays and heals the sick, he's showing God's love. It's love. Being on mission and the gospel is not just a formula. It's not just a mechanical exercise that we have to go through so that we can be good Christians. It's not telling people, do these three things and you will be saved and let's move on to the next person. No, we must love people where they are and continue to love them. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, the mission that God has given the church is a mission of loving people. All kinds of people. And yes, at times it's messy work because we're all broken people, aren't we? But it is a mission of love, and love always makes it worth it. Love is also the goal of making disciples The goal is not to make believers smarter or more religious. The goal is to teach people how to love like Christ loved. That's discipleship. And you and I, we have this wonderful privilege to be spokespeople for God. We have this responsibility to cross over lines. At the church where we're at right now... um, One of the things that they're asking me is, hey, how can we cross over lines? How can we how can our church be better on mission to reach over lines of of racial lines? How can we make a difference? Everyone seems to be the same. How can we make a difference to include all kinds of people? We've been given this responsibility to tear all kinds of barriers. Jesus tore down all the barriers by dying on the cross we're called to make whatever sacrifices pay whatever the cost to love and to help people all kinds of people be reconciled to god people all around us if you just look if you just open your eyes open your heart your ears listen people all around us people in this community in my community they need forgiveness People whose lives are just broken, they they, they need to be restored. There's so many people around us that need hope. They need healing. People's hearts need to be mended. People need a community where they're welcomed and included. People need to find peace and find their way back to God. And who else can help them with this? School's about to start. Schools are great. I send my kids to school. But they can't do this work. They can't change people's lives. They can't change people's destinies. They'll get them educated. They can't do what God is calling us to do. We live in a city with so so much technology with Apple and Dell and so many other companies that are here. And they provide great jobs for people, great things. They can't do what God is calling us to do. They can't change people's hearts. They can't change people's destinies. Only a church with a mission can do that. That's you and me. And maybe someone here this morning, as we've been talking about the good news and the gospel, and maybe someone here doesn't know what the good news that Paul was so determined to preach. Well, the good news, it's about a conviction. It's a conviction that I have a need. A need for someone to do for me what I can't do for myself. Someone to forgive my sin. Someone to heal what's broken inside of me. Any broken people here? Don't have to raise your hands. And when anyone humbles themselves before this mighty God, they come to him in humility. He offers forgiveness. He offers grace. And then there's there's restoration process that begins. And all of this is a free gift of God. Now this free gift was costly it cost him the life of his only son but why did why was God willing to give so much something that I couldn't do it was only possible because of his love for this world only because of love can he do something like this and so in conclusion this morning This life we've been called to is not easy. We know that. It's dangerous. It's risky. But we have this promise that he will be with us. It's a life of hardships at times. But God is trustworthy. And he will not let go. Whatever, however hard it might get. Living for him, it will cost something. But love will always make it worth it. And so his love motivates us. It compels us to share with others, to endure and to keep going. When things get tough, when life gets hard, it all just depends on this perspective that God also gives us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18, I was reminded of some of the words of Paul to the Romans because Paul did end up in Rome at some time as a prisoner, and he got to testify there, and a church was started there, and that's why we have the book of Romans. And later on, he writes a letter to them trying to encourage them in their suffering, and he says to them, I, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with a glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever suffering, whatever hardship you're going through, and many in this room are going through some tough things. Scripture reminds us, whatever you're going through, it doesn't compare to what's coming. This is another promise that God gives us. It doesn't compare, however hard, thing, however hard you think things are right now, it doesn't compare with what's coming. What if I told you that tomorrow, first thing when you get to work, your boss is going to call you into the office and he says to you, You've been laid off? And what if I told you that you wouldn't be able to find work for about a, a year? How difficult would that be? How tough would that be? Would you endure that? Would you take that positively? But what if I told you something different? What if I told you you're going to get laid off, not going to be able to find work for a year, but at the end of the year, you're going to be awarded $1 million? Could you survive for a year? Could you endure? That's how it is with us. It doesn't compare to a million dollars. But see, we have this promise. That we have this short life and and it's going to be tough. We're going to face some hard things. But it doesn't compare with what's coming. It doesn't compare with what's eternal. And that's the mission we're in. People look at the temporary things. But God invites us to look at the eternal. That's the mission that he's invited us to. As we speak to others, as we encourage others, as we invite them into what we have found in Christ. It doesn't compare to what's coming. If you never give up, if you strive to remain faithful, if you continue to follow and trust Jesus, let's pray. Our God, uh, we are in all of you, Lord. We see the courage... Uh, that these apostles had to fulfill the mission that you had given them Lord and uh, to be honest Lord um, we envy that I know I do to have uh, the courage and the boldness to speak in your name as um, our world is lost is confused has drifted away from you in many instances. God, would you help us as a church to rise up? Would you help us as believers in our communities, in our neighborhoods, at our workplace to be on mission for you, Lord, to be courageous, to be bold, to speak up, to love people, to bless people, to minister to people, to join you in your work? Lord, we... So many of us live for such lesser things. We live for the temporary. God, would you give us new eyes to see what's eternal and to live for you, Lord. Help us to join with the church. Help us to join with our brothers and sisters to work together, to be on this mission together as we seek to help others come to know you. It's in Christ's name, Lord, that I pray that you will give us this power. Amen.